Hi everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Nitcast. Nitcast, the bright minds of NIT Kurukshetra is the official podcast of NIT Kurukshetra's Alumni Association. Here we pack the journey of our alumnus from a student to the industry leaders and some important learnings they had in a span of 20 minutes so that everyone can listen and learn from them. For this very first episode of Nitcast, we have Dr. Anil Kaul with us. He is an alumnus of NIT Kurukshetra's 1982-87 batch and is a pioneer in the field of machine learning and artificial intelligence. He is leading Absolute Data as the Chief Executive Officer and is, a, is the Chief AI Officer at Infogain. He has worked with Personify as a Director and at McKenzie he was an Associate. So let's get to the podcast. So sir, you have experience in corporate world, you were an associate at McKinsey, you have an experience in a startup that is a personify, you created, build a startup from scratch that is uh, absolute data and now you have you've been acquired and now you are chief AI officer at Infogain. So sir, you have in your professional life, you had various roles and like very diverse roles. So what are the key, key takeaways from each of these uh, roles and what are the working culture and uh, ethic differences between corporate or startup? Yeah, so I think yes, by the way, that is true. I have fortunately had very wide experiences. I, you know, I've been in consulting. I have worked with data. I, have, I was part of Absolute Data. You know, we started the company, three of us and our computers and nothing else. Um, and now I'm part of a company that is 6,000 people and growing. Um, so in all of, so I, I think the core learning that I've had through this whole journey is that you have to adapt, which is that the success comes from being good at doing certain things, but also adapting those skills that you have, the way, the knowledge that you have to the situation. When you are starting a company, the most critical thing at that point of time is how do I do what I need to do with literally no resources available to me, no customers. Like I remember when we hired our first um, employee, uh, we were we started the company in Delhi uh, at that time. Uh, in uh, so we actually just went to IIT Delhi and put posters and hired our first employee from IIT Delhi. Uh, but for that, we had to be very, um, you know, you have to be good at convincing people, you know. I, I still remember this guy, his name is Robin, uh, came and told us that my parents are telling me what's wrong with you. <laughs> you're finishing your degree and you're going to work for this company that doesn't even have an office right now, right? And so you have to have that conviction where you could convince people and say, this is an opportunity, please come and join. And then you adapt that because then you have to use the same kind of approach to get the first customer, to get your second customer, to get the next type set of employees that you need. Right, so that is something that certainly remains common, but you also have to adopt your, uh, uh, your decision-making style. As a startup, you can take a lot of bets. As you become bigger, there's a lot more data available. So you have to learn how to use that data to make the decisions that you have. As you get larger, you also have to keep the human aspect of your company into consideration. How do I work with all the different people that we have in the organization? 
how do i motivate people to deliver on what is required how do i share my vision and make sure people understand where we are going and then as you move into a corporate world it's a different scenario but still basic skills that you have are same however you have to adopt them in a different way how do i work with people who are not reporting to me like when i was only just the ceo of absolute data my team reported to me so i know they would listen to me today i'm part of a much larger organization and i have to work with other teams where they don't report to me and i have to get cooperation from them to do certain things how do i get those people to work with me provide the information that we need to support that i need uh, uh, and so those are kind of things that you learn adapt think over a time uh, have have mentors who can help you um, build the right level of relationships through all of this so those are yeah exactly everyone has to adapt through it and i think one uh, other important thing i'll tell you is that as a uh, as a professional or as a person you have to know yourself which is you have to know what is that i do best and what is that i enjoy the most because i have seen people who know this very well that you know they know how to start a business and they're not interested in running and scaling up a business and they've done very well because that's what they've done uh, i have a friend who started six companies and sold six companies now and his thing is he catches things very early in very early stages he builds a company to about 100 200 people and he sells it off because he says that after that i don't enjoy it anymore i'm very good at problem solving putting all of this thing together and do that i have other friends who have built a company and they have continued with that and scaled up because they like that part of it so i think that's another piece when you're doing all of this know yourself what is that motivates you what is fun what is exciting and then ensure that's what you do and deliver don't try to do something that you're not good at because then it becomes a tough challenge because you will try 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 it doesn't work and it's not uh, something that anyone uh, would want to be in so that's kind of what i've learned through all of this So, sir, uh, the general opinion is like if you are comfortably employed at a place, you don't usually, you know, quit it and go for another startup. You know, into dangerous waters. So, what was the thing that motivated you? Motivated you the most about you know entering the dangerous waters of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think part of it was I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to build. I have always been a builder, which is I always like doing things. In fact, even when I was in college. I was always involved in organizing any festival that was going on, any event that was going on, because it was kind of fun to do that. Uh, though I have a different perspective on the dangerous waters piece that you talked about, because I don't think there was a big risk that you're taking, because I know people always worry about the risk part of it. Um, and at least in my case, I didn't think of that as a risk, uh, and the reason was I didn't think there was a huge cost to failure. I was starting absolute data I still remember my point was like you know what happens if it doesn't succeed I'm pretty sure I'll get a job I have skills that people will pay me for I might not get a job that would have paid me as much if I had focused on that but it'll pay me enough to do okay and over 6 8 months I'll make up on that so the there's not actually a risk that way right so I didn't feel the risk at all in that sense it was just that I'll try it for six months. If it doesn't really work, then I know there are people who'll hire me, and then they'll just go back to the job. I'll, of course, would be happy if I had to do that. 
but it did reduce that sense of risk. And I've seen, actually I have friends who have a very nice job and they're like, I can't leave a job. I've got a family, I've got kids. And, and I look at it that saying that, you know, pro- you probably don't have enough confidence to say that if I leave this job that I'll get another job like this. If you have that confidence, then there's no risk in it. Because that's, it's, it's a question of six months, which is what you're risking, not your career, not your entire life. And I don't think that's that big a risk. That's how I thought about it. So you've been to US, you've been to India, you created a startup there, had a job there as well. So what difference you see in the culture, in the uh, startup ecosystem in US and India right now? And how do you think uh, would uh, both the ecosystem grow uh, in the future? I think, you know, the world has changed a lot, particularly when it comes to India in the last 20 years or so. So today we're in a very good place. We have not only a startup culture in India, but we have the support system and the ecosystem that you need. You know, many times, by the way, I'll tell you, I'm very envious of you guys. I am like, I wish I was young right now because when we were doing this, you didn't have all the ecosystem in place. Though I also realized that today there's too much competition also, and we had less competition, <laughs> right? That was the positive part of it. Right. So, but I do think that today we've come to a place where Indian ecosystem for entrepreneurship, for technology, AI machine learning is world-class. You know, companies that are coming out of India, people that are coming out of India are in no way different and no way less than any part of the world. And particularly when I compare it to the US. So we are in a very good place. Uh, and, and that's why you see so many, you know, you hear about all the unicorns coming in because that's where we are. And that's not only in terms of what is happening here, but it's also in terms of how people look at us from outside. 20, 30 years back when I went to the US, anyone who worked in India and went to the US had to literally throw away their experience in India because it counted to zero. People would have to start from scratch. Today, that's not the case. Right? You, if you work here for three years and you go to the US, your three years experience is three years experience. Uh, it, it's, got, it's equivalent to, uh, or almost equivalent to having worked in the US as well. So there's very little difference. I think that's a very positive thing. So you can actually easily move between India and US spend some years here, spend some years uh, in the US, uh, it, it makes no difference where you have been. What matters is what have you really done, uh, how have you done it, rather than where you've done it. So I think that's a very positive situation that we are in today, fortunately, and for you guys uh, as well, that you can go to the world, go to compete at the world-class level, you have the support system, so go and create companies, go and change the world through those. How do you, you know, uh in a generic way, only focus on the positive part of it. Like, uh, like obviously considering the negative part as well, but you know, going with the flow of the positive part, being optimistic, how do you do that? You know, I, 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 I don't have a very good answer for that. I'll tell you why. Because I think it's a little bit of my nature and I know myself, for example, if I feel I get an obstacle, I have a failure, the way I typically deal with it is that I'm really down after something doesn't work. But that usually translates into my determination becoming stronger, which is that I will usually come out of it with a conviction that I am going to do it. And that's, again, I said, it's 
not something that I developed consciously, it just happens to be like that. Um, and that is what gives me the positivity that you need. So, you know, failures happen to everyone. There's nobody in the world who doesn't face that failure. But it's a question of how do you deal with it and how do you come back from it? For me, it's usually been that if I don't get something, then my desire to get that actually becomes stronger, which means that I'll be down for a day or two. After that, I'm coming back and figuring out how am I going to make it sure that I really crack at this time. And then that becomes the motivation force to go back and do it again, get back on your feet and, you know, not get bogged down by something that didn't work. So, sir, uh, as you mentioned before that uh, you were, you know, involved in many of the activities that happened here. So, how did the activities or, you know, the environment of an IT Guru Shita, you know, uh, helped in, uh, improve your personality in, you know, a holistic way? Yeah, I think, you know, part of what was good about Kurukshetra and I'm hoping that continues is that we are in a very small town, right? Uh, there's not a whole lot to do here, right? So what that did was that gave a lot of time and energy to create things because, you know, we would be sitting, having tea at Koka and saying, you know, what if we were to do that? And then we would start at doing that and that would actually happen. I, I was earlier telling you about the MBA and the IMs. I was in my third year, we, we used to have a five-year program at that time, right? So, and somebody told me that, you know, if you want to do an MBA, the best you can do is uh, Chandigarh. No, no negative thing about Chandigarh, but in terms of <laughs> rankings, it wasn't as good as IM or any of those things. And I remember all of us sitting here saying, you know, that doesn't make sense. Let's figure out a way to crack cat. Right? So the environment let you do that because there were not a lot of distractions. And we were all very close friends. We didn't have a lot of money. So we bought all these courses together as five of us. And we did all of the courses because we were sharing those courses. We were helping each other. And that's a spirit that... I find it doesn't exist at many places. You're individuals, you're doing your thing. While in Kurukshetra, we were, as a team, very close to each other, helping each other, and, and that helped us crack these things and figure out things which we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. And I think there is a second piece also, which is, uh, as I told you, I was not the most interested in engineering student. You know, it's good, but wasn't the most exciting part for me. So the tendency, used to be, we would start studying three weeks before the final exam. Yeah. So you're still there. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, I know all the professors who probably will listen to this aren't going to be happy about it. But when I look back at it, by the way, that was a very good thing because what it taught us was, or taught me was, I've got three weeks to do something that I was supposed to do for the whole semester, right? So I need to learn how to prioritize. Figure out what chapters to study and what questions to study. Predict which questions are going to be there in the exams. <laughs> and what is going to happen? Take all the old exams to figure out, you know, what are the likely questions to So I think you do develop pretty good problem-solving skills through that. Right? So being able to figure out that I have short amount of time to get through this exam puts pressure on you to think in creative ways. 
you know, we had come up with uh, an interesting thing that we used to do, which is we would uh, reduce the cost of books by sharing books. So we'd buy a book, take out all the chapters, so five people could use it. And then we would teach each other. Right? So I would take one chapter, another person would take another chapter. Uh, so that let us master the syllabus in a relatively short time. Uh, and that actually, by the way, let us do well in the exams as well. I wasn't at the top of my class, but I was in the top six or seven or ten or something. I was fairly uh, decent in the final scores that came. But that was a result of this kind of thinking, which is what then you need in practical life. Right? When you have a job, when you are starting a company, and you're in any situation, then it's 20 different things you have to do. What is critical is to figure out what are the two or three things that I really need to do and take out the rest, which are not important. And then doing those well, solving those, figuring, getting help from other people to figure out how to solve it, that's what ultimately helps you succeed. So that's certainly something that comes out from my experience. Yeah. So when we asked you about the thing that the students need to know about AML, you mentioned that part that divide uh, divide task in the models and then mm -hmm. execute it. That, that is the similar thing you've been good using. Good point, very good point. <laughs> and that you uh, understand the con context one. You mentioned which question to predict, which question to come in chapter. That, that's also a similar. Thank you, Abhayre. Great learning for me. I, I love your <laughs> Yes, sir. Just, uh, while we've been researching about you, we find out, sir, you, you've been uh, passionate about hiking and all. So, sir, would you like to share some memory or some incident when you've been on a hike or, uh, somewhere? Yeah, so I am very passionate about hiking. I've been seriously hiking for almost uh, 12 years, 13 years, 15 years, actually. I think the incident that comes to my mind is actually linked with something that I had talked earlier, which is that the first big hike that I did uh, was climbing uh, uh, is in California uh, in, a, in a place called Yosemite. So if you guys are aware of the Yosemite National Park, uh, there is a hike called Half Dome. So you actually climb this uh, mountain, which is about uh, 10,000 feet. Uh, uh, and it's in the total hike is about 4,000 feet, from six to 10,000 feet. Um, so my first hike, I made all the mistakes that anybody can ever make in one single go. Things like, I read, what should you carry based on somebody on the internet? And of course, people on the internet write things which you should never be doing. So if I should have been carrying five kgs, I was carrying 15 because people said, take three pairs of socks because the socks might get wet, <laughs> you know. Anyway, so I did all of these mistakes. So what happened was when I started, literally at the end of my first hour, I could not walk. I literally could not pick up my leg and put it in front of the other leg. And I, I was very confused as what's going on because people all, everybody else is walking and they're having no problems and I'm stuck here. I tried a lot of things. I I was carrying a can of Coke, I drank that, didn't help, I drank water, I ate chocolate, I literally bummed a cigarette from someone because I thought maybe nicotine will help me walk. <laughs> and there's this guy smoking, so I go to him and ask him, can you just give me a cigarette? Even though I don't smoke, by the way, right now, but uh, so I smoked that cigarette, didn't help. Then I said, you know, that I have two options. I can continue walking or I give up. And what I did was I counted 10 
and took 10 steps. And that's how I did that hike. So the hike that usually takes about seven hours took me 13 and a half hours, but I did it. Which is what I wanted to link up with. I did not give up. And fortunately, I had good friends because they didn't give up on me either. Right? So they gave me company. They would actually go and sit. In fact, one of them I found was sleeping, waiting for me because I was so slow. <laughs> However, having done that meant that next time when I did that trek, I actually did it in five and a half hours with one break. Because I learned a lot in that of what not to do. And then I have used it. Now I've hiked a lot. I've done you know, fairly, fairly tough hikes, uh, even in India, in Ladakh. Uh, I have been to uh, about 6,000 plus uh, meters uh, peaks, but it comes from the same thing that I was talking about, which is, you know, it's that determination, learning and not getting bogged down. You know, there are times when everything is hurting, you still continue. And so for me, I see a lot of, you know, similarities in what I do from hiking and what happens in life. In fact, I have a tattoo uh, on this side of a mountain and to me that's basically because I think that's what I like, hiking, the mountain represents that, but it also represents my uh, philosophy of life, which is yes, getting to the top is always a pain, but the, but the joy that you have once you get there is something that you can't match from anywhere else. So this was Dr. Neil Kohl with us. We got the chance to record this podcast with him during his visit to NIT Kurukshetra's campus in April 22. His journey and the learning from it could not be packed into an episode of around 20 minutes. So there will be a part 2 for this podcast where we will be covering more of his journey from being a mechanical engineering undergrad at NIT Krukshetra to becoming the chief executive officer at Absolute Data. So stay tuned for the next part of Netcast featuring Dr. Neil Cole. And if you found any value from this episode then don't forget to share it with your friends and family.